Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome to Freedom's Ring, friends. I'm your host, Alan Reinock. Our guest today, my friend and colleague, uh, the executive director of the California Catholic Conference, Ned DeLessie. And we're talking about a, a very interesting and troubling bill that's been introduced here in the California legislature known as Assembly Bill 569, an insidious regulation of the church. Uh, Ned, can you explain to our listeners what this bill uh, would do? Yes, well, AB 569 uh, is a bill uh, by Assemblymember Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher from San Diego. And uh, this bill basically uh, would prohibit uh, all employers in California from taking what they call adverse employment actions uh, against an employee for his or her reproductive health care decisions or the use of any drugs or devices or medical services related to reproductive health decisions for that employee or their dependent. And it's a fascinating approach. The author was intending to address what she considered inappropriate discrimination against pregnant women in the workplace. And uh, in conversations with the author, we were trying to ask her to demonstrate any particular experiences that justified this bill, and she was not able to do so. You know, currently, discrimination in the workplace based on um, sex or gender is already prohibited in the government code under CALFIA. And so this bill. Uh, basically opens up a cause of action in the labor code um, for perceived uh, discrimination based on you know this type of behavior and and again that's particularly troubling to many people in the business community because it's already illegal under CalFIA so why do we need to put it in the labor code other than to invite employees to have other causes of action to discriminate against people what's particularly troubling for those of us in the religious community is that uh, this bill targets religious employers. As the Chamber of Commerce has pointed out, there are no, absolutely no, experiences of discrimination in the secular workplace in California to justify this bill. And the author in only amendment to this bill has clarified that, of course, religious employers may be exempt in their houses of worship. And uh, all of the testimony that has gone on has been focused on religious employers. And so we're trying to, you know, ascertain why this should be, uh, you know, why this should be of concern to the, uh, to the author and to the sponsors of this bill. And the sponsor of the bill is the National Abortion Rights Action League, uh, supported by a variety of the unions in the state of California. So we're troubled by the whole thing, as you can well imagine. So let's come back to basics here, Ned, because as we've looked at this bill from you know our community, our Seventh-day Adventist community, um, we're not aware of any actions that our churches or schools or institutions would take that, you know, on religious grounds that would uh, potentially be challenged under the provisions of this bill. So we don't really see how this will affect us, but we recognize that it will affect others. And in particular, uh, Roman Catholic institutions, and uh, if you could explain to our listeners 
what are some of the beliefs or practices in the Roman Catholic tradition that this bill is really trying to restrict? Well, I think the uh, you know the the most uh, prominent uh, issue that we would throw out there would be the fact that uh, the Catholic Church does not support abortion in any way, shape, or form, and so to publicly choose to have an abortion would be you know considered not in concert with Catholic teaching in our schools, in in our uh, parishes, in our various ministries, in our summer camps, things like that. The prospect that someone would publicly say that they had had an abortion uh, would be something that, you know, as an employer, we would say, "Well, why are you choosing to work with us when you know when you're not supporting our particular position on this?" Um, other examples would be certain forms of in vitro fertilization, um, you know, a variety of of the contraception that would be considered inappropriate from the Catholic standpoint. But as an employer, we have no way of knowing that unless the employee makes that public. Right. So we're clear. Let's say we're in a summer camp setting and you have a camp counselor who goes off and has an abortion and it becomes known by the campers and the other staff at the camp and this is trying to uphold Catholic values, Catholic teaching, etc. Would that uh, camp counselor then be subject to being terminated uh, because they were not serving as a proper role model for the campers? That's very much a potential because we always have our employees agree to a certain set of behaviors and a certain way in which they would uh, exhibit uh, the Christian life as lived in the Catholic tradition in this particular setting. And, you know, those are usually spelled out for teachers, uh, just as in the public schools they have codes of conduct, we have codes of conduct for teachers. The same thing would be true for camp counselors in those scenarios and situations also. Now, you know, I'm going to get into another hypothetical here, which is perhaps a little more nuanced, but I think it illustrates some of the problems with this bill. If instead of, you know, the practice of having an abortion is what becomes known, if you have a counselor who's in a relationship and it's, you know, publicly discussed that they're, you know, having... You know, intimate relations, mm-hmm. and in that sense, uh, are not properly being a role model for impressionable young campers. I would think that on the one hand, the counselor could be subject to termination, and then, according to this bill, even if they're being terminated for what we call sexual misconduct, they could allege that really what's at the root of it is violating the church's teachings regarding the use of contraception because, you know, they want to have safe sex. That is correct. So, and then if, if I read the bill correctly, uh, explain to our listeners how this also implicates conduct of family members of third parties. Well, that is a fascinating anomaly that everyone, uh, both in the secular religious community, is trying to sort out because the employer has, uh, to the best of our knowledge, never been held liable for discrimination experienced by a dependent <laughs> of an employee. And so we're trying to figure out how do you, you know, 
how do we even handle that if you know if the employee's you know child made this particular decision how is that our you know our responsibility for you know for being held liable to you know to how how could we discriminate against them? and so we're you know we're trying to trying to understand that and in the context of of employee benefits and employee employer relationships we're trying to understand at what point are are we liable for discrimination that the um, that the dependent may allege you know they experienced on the hands of the employer how did we how did we do that so it's um, remains it remains a mystery <laughs> you know i'm i'm reminded here in, in the protestant context of course um pastors and their wives sometimes take heat because of the misdeeds of the pks so to speak the preacher's kids mm -hmm. and you know if the preacher's kids are rebellious and wild and and behaving in in ways that are are not acceptable to the church oftentimes the pastor or the wife might take some heat for that but uh you know, I haven't heard about people actually being fired because of the misdeeds of their kids. So this really does seem like uh, quite a stretch for the law to step in and say somehow, uh, you know, you better not uh, fire somebody because their kids are using contraception or, or you know, accessing reproductive health care or, or, you know, something like that. Right. And, and it's hard for us to imagine that, you know, that that would be the case. Usually there's a sense of sympathy and engagement with the individual about how can we, you know, be of assistance in, you know, working with you and your dependent in that situation. And um, and I would agree with your assessment. I can't think of circumstances where people have been, you know, fired or terminated. So we're trying to figure why would this be a, a legal cause of action of discrimination, you know, based against the employer. And, you know, and again, I, I would take it back as, as we've done in the conversations with the author about the fact that, you know, from the standpoint of um, and speaking for the Catholic community here, whether it's our Catholic charities or our Catholic schools or our Catholic camps or our Catholic parishes or, you know, whether it's St. Vincent de Paul Society, a variety of the different organizations we have that serve in the community, no one is forced to or required to work for us. And they understand when they come to work for us who we are and what we're about and what we care about. And we make that very explicit in our human resource policies and practices, in our, um, some of them are covenant kind of arrangements. Some of them are contractual kind of arrangements. Uh, some of them are, you know, codes of conduct that, uh, that a teacher would agree to. And so we're trying to understand, are you now saying that in the larger secular context of California society, that we as an employer have no right to expect the behavior that supports our mission? that, you know, moves our our particular faith perspective forward in the world, then why did you come to work with us? And, you know, and so it, it's indeed troubling. It really is. Well, and, you know, in the larger context, to me, I think this is a good opportunity for our listeners to give some reconsideration to the notion of the separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. um, going back to the 1970s, um, our organization successfully lobbied the California legislature to exempt religious institutions from the non-discrimination laws mm -hmm. based on the separation of church and state. That our relationships with our employees in terms of, you know, the bases for these kinds of, uh, you know, decisions about termination 
they should not be subject to review by the state. And this has been the longstanding policy, uh, strong policy of the state of California to respect the separation of church and state. And now they want to micromanage how the church uh, implements its teachings with respect to its employees through a different set of laws that are not subject to these religious protections. That's correct. And this code that you speak of is the government code of the state of California, and in it uh, is, is contained the California Fair Employment and Housing Act. And that California Fair and Housing Employment Act has a respectful address to the concerns of the religious community. And so there is a religious employer exemption that's long been respected and, and, um, and impressed uh, many people in terms of how it's worked effectively in California. What's troubling about this particular bill is this now moves it into the labor code and offers no religious exemption other than the author's last attempt to offer this very narrow thing for a house of worship. And nobody is concerned about the house of worship and you know and it betrays and I would uh, you know I would throw this out to our listeners it betrays what I think is the true intent of the sponsors of the bill NARAL at all uh, which is to invite the religious community to voluntarily restrict our ability in the, to protect ourselves in the larger societal order and I think that's their true intention because there are no egregious examples of the discrimination that they allege to try and protect here and you know what they're by moving into the labor code, they're inviting this type of legal confusion, and they're inviting us in with this amendment that they put forward to accept the fact that we have a very limited exemption for our religious for our religious uh, exercise in the society. So I'm I'm deeply troubled by it. You know, as I've thought about this issue, Ned, I'm reminded of cases the Supreme Court and other courts have upheld different kinds of regulations of of religious employment. For example, minimum wage, overtime laws, you know, equal pay, you know, you can't pay the men a living wage and pay the women uh, subordinate, uh, you know, wage rates for the same work, these kinds of things. And these things make sense. They don't touch on anything to do with church teaching. But here we're really getting at regulating how the church, you know, inculcates its own doctrines and teachings with its own members. And it's, um, uh, it's very troubling. Well, we're out of time. Our guest today has been uh, my friend and colleague, Ned DeLessi, Executive Director of the California Catholic Conference. Thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring, Ned. You're welcome, Alan. Thank you. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>